I hope everyone has had a great week. Here in the States, we just celebrated Labor Day. September is chock full of birthdays on my husband's side of the family. And also, hey, I am calling it fall. Sorry, not sorry to my summer lovers. But here in the Midwest, I love the changing of the leaves, sweater weather, going for a run when it's cool and crisp outdoors. Oh, I love it. And while we aren't quite there with all things fall, Starbucks has their pumpkin drinks out. So although I think the actual date for fall is something like September 22nd, I'm calling it fall. And if that's wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> oh, so speaking of the right kind of wrong, today I wanted to embrace the uncertainty and doubt that creeps into ROCD. If you are a member of our OCD family community, that acronym might ring a bell. We've talked about it a little bit, but we've talked a lot about a lot of things OCD. So I'm going to just roll into the intro so we can dive right in. I'm Nicole Morris, licensed marriage and family therapist and mental health correspondent. And let me be the first to say, welcome to the family, the OCD family that is. I am here to create a community of support for family members, spouses, partners, parents, adult children, as there may be adult words and chosen family of OCD sufferers and their community. I've had over 22 years of experience in the mental health field, but please note that this information does not qualify or substitute as a diagnostic evaluation, therapy, or treatment, and it is presented on an as-is basis. Please follow up with a qualified mental health provider in your area regarding concerns for yourself or loved ones. Thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get started. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I used to uh, have what I considered to be a pretty good Britney Spears impression. So, like, I could intentionally get kind of breathy. That's my breath. And then I would push it into the sound, right? And then I felt like, voila, I could generate a Britney esque flavor flav for singing. I could be like, the reason I breathe is you. I don't know how close that really is, but I liked it. Anyway, the reason I'm bringing up Britney is because, holy moly, the first hit from Britney Spears, Baby One More Time. I believe that's the formal name of it, right? I should know this. This is like quintessential like high school for me. But the reason that I bring it up is because this song, as I was like thinking about talking about ROCD, I was like, you know, I bet there are so many songs that I could pick that would kind of represent the struggle being real with relationship OCD for those of you that are new to us or just needing a refresher. And so I thought of Baby One More Time because the lyrics, you guys, I have to pull it up because this is just one second. I'm pulling it up. These are the lyrics, and literally, I was like, this is one little jam fest of compulsory doubt, and I have never made the connection before now, but here you go. If you have not heard this song in a while, just for kicks and giggles, you should like maybe pause the podcast and pull up on YouTube, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music. Because first of all, it'll catapult you back if you're of an older age, like I am. But also, even if you're younger, I think everybody knows this song. So anyway, oh baby, baby, how was I supposed to know that something wasn't right here? It's like, yeah, 
<laughs> oh, baby, baby. I shouldn't have let you go. Oh, it is so hard not to sing these lyrics, by the way. It's like, it's so bubblegum poppy, sticky. But anyway, and now you're out of sight. Yeah. Show me how you want it to be. And I don't know, but like, are you guys literally, are you guys vibing with me? It's just the whole shimmy. Like I'm doing the whole shimmy. I think we all know that shimmy. It just takes me back. So tell me, baby, because I need to know now because my loneliness is killing me. And I, I must confess, just keep all shut. I still believe, I still believe. When I'm not with you, I lose my mind. Give me a sign. Just give me a sign. I'm just going to watch for this sign. Give me some reassurance. Give me a sign. Hit me, baby, one more time. Isn't, is that not epic? I don't want to, like, for copyright status, I'm not going to go in too far. But I'm just going to link Britney Spears' YouTube video on the podcast post for this episode on OCDFamilyPodcast.com because it's epic and it really fits what we're talking about. I think this could be, like, our OCD anthem. OCD one more time. Yeah, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling that. I'm feeling it. I don't know if you're feeling it, but let's get into it. <laughs> I tell you, it's too much fun. So if anything else, because our OCD can be so intense and debilitating, at least we get to have a little fun with it with our girl by name, right? Okay. So with that, let's just, let's talk, guys. Let's talk ROCD. So relationship OCD. Part of why I wanted to talk about this is because we mentioned ROCD a little bit on last week's episode with Jason Adams, and he mentioned something that's true for many people, actually. He didn't realize that ROCD was a thing. And while that's almost certainly true for the vast majority of people in general, it's also true inside the OCD community. And in part, it's because the research for this subtype is still relatively new as compared to OCD as a whole. But Jason had mentioned that he didn't exactly know the research for ROCD, and that made this light bulb go off because I can deliver a helping of research with a side of resources for my OCD fam. And as an added bonus, I've invited my handsome hubby, Patrick, back to discuss what this can look like in dating and marriage relationships. But for starters, let's start with the research. I'm going to cite iocdf.org again for a reference to the research. Are you noticing a theme here? The International OCD Foundation is my trusted go-to, and let me provide a friendly reminder that all citations and resources referenced during any of my podcasts can be found linked at ocdfamilypodcast.com under the corresponding episodes post. Additionally, if you caught our OCD subtype chat during episode three of the OCD Family Podcast, we discussed relational OCD and how it can manifest as relationship-focused partner-focused, or both. Dr. Guy Duran and Dr. Danny Derby introduced us to this research about 10 years ago. During an IOCDF virtual town hall, which is posted on YouTube, and you called it OCDFamilyPodcast.com, they discussed the line between healthy doubt and obsessional doubt. All feelings and relationships exist on a continuum. 
But obsessional doubt becomes disabling. And there are daily obsessions that are not only distressing to your relationships, but it can impact other areas of your life as well. So in the relationship-focused obsessional doubt, the questions that start to form can sound like this. Is this the right relationship? Do I love my partner? Does my partner love me? Am I good enough? Like, can I really trust them with my heart? Are they good enough? What if I'm wrong? Are they going to leave me or, or cheat? And as if those questions aren't fun enough, the compulsions that can follow are quite a doozy. Compulsions like monitoring your feelings, if I'm happy, we're happy. If I'm bored or sad, not excited, annoyed, we must be doomed. I wouldn't feel that way if there wasn't something wrong, right? And how fast is my heart beating around them? Is it because I'm excited or anxious? I used to get excited and now I'm feeling more of that nervous excitement around other people who aren't my partner. That must mean something's wrong with our relationship. The checking, the evaluation, and scaling of passion, attraction during sex, lack of attraction during sex. Oh boy, we're really screwed now. <laughs> Little therapist humor there. In the old school days, we could pick up a copy of Vogue or Marie Claire to find out if our love life still has sizzle. Nowadays, folks may be more inclined to check out that BuzzFeed article or post on their social media, maybe even take a poll. Yahoo Answers is a cauldron where anxiety is a brew. Our best friends, sisters, mothers, well, they'll tell us it's right or agree that it's wrong, but the urge to solve this quandary is insatiable. OCD demands a thousand percent certainty. So you break up your core belief or fear that this relationship is doomed to fail and you'll never be happy. And what if you end up dying alone, unloved? I mean, your potential future offspring pretty much hate you for ruining their lives with this loveless relationship. Ugh, it cannot be quelled. This must be the answer, right? Oh, OCD, you son of a bitch. Wrong. Maybe. Maybe wrong, right? Because now you see, my loneliness is killing me. And I must confess, I still believe. When I'm not with you, I lose my mind. Give me a sign. Hit me, ROCD, one more time. Dr. Derby wisely pointed out during the IOCDF town hall that, quote, once you're obsessed, you're not experiencing the relationship, end quote. Now, before we get too far down that spiral, let's remember to review what partner-focused ROCD entails. Partner-focused ROCD, as the name implies, focuses on the partner. Oh, So we can intensely zoom into their flaws and what bothers us about them or our flaws and what that will mean to our partner about us. Attractiveness and intelligence are biggies in this category. But what about how funny they are? Are they funny enough? Or awkward? Like, am I embarrassed by their social skills or lack thereof? Let me just go get a read on Cheryl here and ask if she thought they were funny. Was she really laughing at their joke or was she pity laughing at how pathetic our relationship is? The funny thing is, no matter what Cheryl responds, the sufferer won't feel relief. I mean, what if Cheryl's just saying that? I should probably ask somebody else. The partner-focused ROCD sufferer may watch and grade people's responses, their responses, or their partner's responses. They'll ask for reassurance, 
seek self-reassurance or abandon reassurance because you wouldn't have any of these doubts if there wasn't a reason why, right? Whether in or outside of a relationship, research has demonstrated that the fear of being obsessed itself can be a fear in relationship OCD. What if I feel this worry for the rest of my life? I won't be able to take it. Come on, Cheryl. We need a pep talk. Compulsions, table for two, please. So what makes this different than healthy doubt in a dating relationship? Like, where's that line? You know, just so I can make sure Cheryl is aware. Well, this is basically the question our OCD sufferers want to solve. In fact, big note here, solving compulsions run rampant across different subtypes of OCD. But that's another story for another day. I've referenced the virtual town hall with IOCDF a few times now, which was moderated by Chris Tronson, who I am really excited to share will be on the podcast soon. But I really encourage you to head over to the interwebs and check it out if you want to hear more about ROCD from the head researchers themselves. The Cliff Notes version that I'll give you for now, though, is that in order to evaluate your relationship, you have to first be in the relationship. And with ROCD, you're not experiencing a relationship, you're in your head. With common relationship doubts, we can take and evaluate the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we can make decisions based on those experiences. We can make conclusions, even if they're painful. We can take things at face value, like my partner is usually nice to me, but he's always an asshole to my friends and family, and that's a big red flag in my book. For ROCD, this seemingly clear red flag is never obvious. You're so caught up in the obsessional thought that you can't see the forest through the trees. So what's a person to do? Well, like we've discussed before, there's a lot of hope in the right treatment. And exposure and response prevention therapy, or even inference-based CBT, which is practiced more broadly in Europe and other areas of the world, can bring a lot of hope and help. By proxy of turning down the intensity and noise around obsessions and compulsions, people can start to actually experience their relationships for themselves. While noting that we all have flaws, we now can evaluate whether this forest is the forest for us. Here are the trees, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Are we willing to accept them or not? We get to decide. And once we decide, that's it. We can stay together or break up or even decide to make up. But the main difference is we can come to a conclusion, period. And that's where having a therapist provide objective guidance and lessening obsessions and compulsions for the ROCD sufferer can be very helpful. So in summary, healthy relational doubt has a conclusion. For ROCD, despite all the tireless efforts at solving your relational woes, there is still no answer because what if it's wrong? Oi. When I say it's debilitating, I mean it's debilitating. There's so much pressure within ROCD to get it right and answer it now before we waste any more time or opportunity to get it right and answer it now. Rinse, lather, repeat. It can feel extreme. And sometimes because of this extreme all or nothing presentation, ROCD can get misdiagnosed at times as a personality disorder or even basic interpersonal conflict. While it's primarily focused on romantic relationships, This can occur between parents and children, children and parents, siblings, platonic relationships, or spiritual relationships. In fact, it can even show up in the therapeutic relationship. Is this the right therapist for me? Or right therapy? 
What if I messed up the exposure? Will the therapist still like me? Have I ruined our relationship? Do I still like them? Do they really get me? Oh, the spirals can literally go in any direction. And oftentimes our OCD can co-occur with other subtypes of OCD or with other mental health disorders or physical ailments. For example, in the Journal of Sexual Medicine's article, Right or Flawed, Relational Obsessions and Sexual Satisfaction, Dr. Duran et al. aimed to study the association between ROCD symptoms, depression, generalized worry, attachment orientation, and sexual functioning. And guess what? Across the board, ROCD symptoms were linked to the greatest decrease in sexual satisfaction more than any other conditions studied. So now we can write a letter to the editor of Vogue explaining if our love life isn't sizzling, it's probably not because we failed to do the 15-minute ab workout four times this week or dressing for success. (laughs) And while hormones and development and menopause and other medical conditions can certainly impact our sex drive and supplements or medication or food or drugs can certainly impact how amorous we feel, if we aren't living in the relationship but instead are living in our head, that's a much bigger problem. Alrighty. So with that big old exposition behind us, I am excited to welcome back Patrick, my handsome hubs, to talk about ROCD. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Patrick. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Good. I'm, I'm well as well. Today, the topic is ROCD. Any guesses as what that stands for? Uh, no. Rowdy OCD? Uh. Raunchy OCD? No guesses? Uh. Ravenous OCD? (laughs) I like your guesses. I'll go with your guesses on this one. You you don't even have one guess for me. Uh, uh, how about, um, right OCD? I don't know. Boring. Yeah, that was pretty boring. All right, all right. We'll judge you silently. So we're talking about relationship OCD. And Patrick has not heard the beginning of this podcast. And I, I like that. It's unbiased. But basically what I'm talking about when I'm talking about relationship OCD is we're talking about coming into a relationship from that doubting perspective. Mm-hmm. And Patrick, I thought we could have a really good conversation about this in terms of how ROCD may have played a role. It definitely did from my side, arguably perhaps from yours as Not well. Not from me. No. <laughs> I'll let you guys be the judge. As we uh, talk through, you can decide he's making Mm -hmm. a fish face Mm -hmm. what i would like us to kind of start with is maybe talking about where we entered our dating relationship from where we were at the point of the start of our relationship with some broad strokes of our history would you like to go first or do you want me to like before we met yeah Mm -hmm. yeah okay for me i had an interesting past I didn't do a whole lot of dating when I was younger. There were some girls I was interested in, but I didn't go on a a ton of dates. I ended up falling in love, though, when I was in my 20s, and it was very, very serious, and we made big plans, and things were going super well. A couple years goes by in this relationship, and I am 
just by this point, uh, excited and ready to get married. And, you know, I had little, very small red flags from my end anyway. I guess looking back on it, they were probably a little bigger than I thought at the time. (laughs) But to me, there were a few small little red flags, but nothing to be really concerned about. But in the end, what happened was a really bad breakup. So I... I had a ring and everything ready to go mm-hmm. to ask this person to marry me. Mm-hmm. And all indications were that we were going to get married. I mean, we had actually completed some premarital counseling because the two families we come from wanted us to before the engagement. Okay, fine. Um, so we did that and we completed it. And we even got a, you know, I rubber know. stamp. I didn't I didn't know your family was like that because we were not required to complete premarital counseling before we got engaged. That's curious. Yeah, I think it was more her family. Mm-hmm. They probably saw the red flags more with her than I did. <laughs> I was just in love and ready to go. Um, yeah, she ended up dumping me r- really unexpectedly out of nowhere. <laughs> it was... A very tough breakup for me. So I had a lot of pain in my past Mm -hmm. leading into dating in my adulthood. Yeah. And we met five years or so after you guys broke up. Yeah. Let's see. This would have been. It was probably more like seven years. Okay. It, It had been a minute. It had been a minute. So we had met years later, but this was really your first, you kind of made a decision for yourself. You didn't date for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there were a few years where I just couldn't. It was just too hard to get over that pain. Yeah. So you experienced some trauma and that breakup from the last relationship. And by the time you decided to date again, you basically just said, okay, I'm going to date again, and Mm -hmm. you joined a dating service. Yep, I went on eHarmony. Uh, I'd heard good things about that. and We uh, lived in L.A. at the uh time, so there's millions of people. Yes, yes. (laughs) You know, I I was never good at going out on dates. It wasn't a thing. I mean, I was good at, at being a boyfriend, but in terms of, like, meeting new people, I'm a pretty big introvert. So... I was never really that great at going out on dates and meeting new people. It was tough because it just it was not a thing that came naturally to me. I was always afraid of conflict. So, And then after the thing that had happened with me and my ex, I had probably actual PTSD about breakups. Yeah. Like, breakups are the worst thing in the world and uh, another thing about me too is that i <laughs> quite hilariously one of the ways i coped with it was i was like i am never going to cause pain to somebody else <laughs> like it was caused to me i am never going to do that i am making a vow that i will never hurt somebody the way i've been hurt and the irony with that or i don't know if it's irony but the funny thing about that is it made it really hard to date because it was hard to get serious because if something goes sour, that means breakup time. Oh, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, I just didn't even date. And then I finally started dating and 
went on a few dates on eHarmony and then ultimately found you. Yeah. So if you haven't gathered, then we met each other on eHarmony. Yes, we are still waiting for our promotional commercial. And this was back when eHarmony was not huge. I mean, it. in fact, internet dating match wasn't really in the picture mm-hmm. yet. Um, and that doctor was the face of the company. That doctor, which I went to graduate school, like right down the street from the eHarmony headquarters, which was also very close to the time of the 2008-2009 recession. So I have vivid memories of one of the bank's people being around the block trying to take their money out of the bank because the recession, everything was crashing. And eHarmony was right there. Offering, How funny. Offering discount codes. For men in L.A., I happen to know this because I, I had friends on the inside at eHarmony. For men in L.A., um, and I don't know, maybe in other regions as well, but definitely in L.A., there were a lot more women on eHarmony than men. And so yes. men, they were like flinging coupons and like I, I think that's trials. probably the case for the for most markets on eHarmony or any dating app. Actually, I've really? heard. Yeah, I've heard that. Why? Uh, I don't know, but it's what I've heard. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe eHarmony. You know how guys are. You date, or you mean like Tinder, bump and grind? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so I'm sure things like. Tinder and all that have a lot of men on it. I'm sure Tinder does have a lot of men on it. Yeah. Especially in LA. Yeah. Uh, swipe left, swipe right. I don't know. I never that did... didn't exist when we were That did dating. not exist. Not that I would have done yet. that. But... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. This is going okay. Yeah. I don't want to get too serious. Break up. <laughs> yeah. So he and I met on eHarmony. I moved from the Midwest to LA to go to graduate school. And I stayed in L.A. to work with L.A. County Department of Mental Health population, postgraduate. They needed good people to work in this really high-need area. And so I started gaining hours for licensure for my marriage and family therapy license. I basically was planted in L.A. from there on. And so I had also had a few relationships. I think there was one in particular that was fairly significant for me. And I had a very hard time getting closure from that relationship. So I feel like I went on to date in other relationships. But the I, I had a relationship that I loved this person. He loved me. It did not work out. And as much as I felt like I had solitude in that being the right arrangement for us, Mm -hmm. I still, a piece of my heart loved him. And I compared every single person I dated to that person. And I wasn't even trying. I wasn't going in going, I'm going to compare them to that person. But I did. And that person was in my head. And I had a really... uh, difficult time getting closure, I guess, was the best word that I could kind of pick there. And so I moved on to different relationships, and that kind of always was the reference point. But I was able to get some resolution right before you and I met. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was finally able to put a bow on, you know, this relationship. That's a wrap. I care about the person. Part of me will always care about the person, but 
I I was able to, I felt like emotionally move forward. That was lucky since we <laughs> right after that. Because who knows uh, <laughs> if how, if, I, I mean, I don't, I couldn't not compare the relationships. How so, did I compare? I mean, there's no contest. <laughs> there's no contest. Oh, well, thank you. I am, I am, if you've ever dated me, the very few people, the hands that could go up, they're like, yeah, you're, you, uh, you're lucky. I am lucky. That I ended up with you. But yeah, I and went. I with you. Thanks. So we both went into the relationship. You had some, like you said, PTSD, some trauma from that really getting that relationship really surprisingly ending for you. And if I may say, uh, yes, I had PTSD, but really a couple years after that, though, I felt very much that a lot of that PTSD was gone. And really, it was just about relearning how to get myself out there. So, and also just to say too, like, I don't harbor definitely even to this day or even shortly thereafter, several years after, at that point, I had pretty much healed and moved on. And I, you know, I'm happy for that other person with their life and all that. So there's no like hard feelings or anything, but it was definitely a time to rediscover how to be in a relationship or how to start one. What I will say, though, is how it bled into our relationship, especially early on, was I would imagine trying to trust your instincts because you could think everything's going well, but you thought everything was going perfect in your other relationship and literally got broadsided completely yeah. ran over. And so I I remember through the first couple of years of our relationship feeling some anger towards this person because you were so impacted by it. And I didn't blame you. Anybody going through that situation would doubt, you know, is this really reality if you've gone through something like that? And And yet I also was just like, you know what? a different relationship and we got to focus on the present with our relationship. But we both came into our relationship having had some serious past relationships and mm-hmm. met one another on eHarmony. We had a really interesting first date. Yes. It was such a great first date because this story is just truly perfect. Not to mention it was just a good first date too. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a nice first date. <laughs> Yeah, it really was. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Nicole and I were were set to meet at a sushi place. We I love sushi. Yeah, we both discovered on date one that we both love sushi. And I have to just say this sushi restaurant was like around the corner from where I lived. Ironically, the first date was around the corner from where I lived. The second date was literally around the corner from where you lived. Yes. And so I just have to say I've been to this like – the sushi restaurant multiple times. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I would go with roommates to the sushi restaurant, sometimes a couple times a week. So it's not like this was the first time they had ever seen my face. Although you would think this was the first time they had ever seen my face. Right, right. So I, I remember very well entering and, I, and there's Nicole, beautiful Nicole. She was in a green dress. I still remember. And a kind of a turquoisey green dress if i remember correctly 
and you were very cute. And I and I went up. I said, "Oh hi," you know. And there were there was the back and forth. And the only awkward moment in the whole date was that first moment where we said hi, and then we both just sort of sat down in the waiting area, like, "What do we do now?" Kind of thing. At least this was what was going on in my head. I don't know what. And the waiting yeah. area is like four chairs, so it's not like yeah. big. And we I, we no. started outside. Mm-hmm. That's true. We met outside, <laughs> we met outside, but then walked in. Because in LA, there's not big waiting areas anywhere. No, but outside was kind of sketch as well as most of LA is. And <laughs> yeah. so, so anyway, we sit down, and that was a little. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot to say at first but then we went and got our seats and then it it would turned into well, pure fun wait a minute you got you're you're skipping over the fact that we went into that waiting area and to break the ice he decides to play a voicemail that his mother had just left oh him. yeah mm-hmm. this is my first introduction okay so yeah the to... first thing i said to nicole was I said, so, and I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to break the ice with some humor, which actually was a good idea, I think. I don't think that's bad. But I go, so I want you to hear something my mom sent me. And it was like a voicemail message. I've never done anything like this on a date. This was very out of the norm for me. So Let I alone a out, first date. Right. So yeah, I pulled out my impression. phone. This is like the first thing I did on the I know, I, know really I pulled out was. my phone and I said, here, listen to this. And my mother called and she's like, me and one of my girlfriends, we're, we are having a debate about jock straps. Do they go up the butt or do they go around the side? Do they protect or do they like, are they like for de- designed to look good or blah, blah, blah. She had all these questions about jock straps. I am not a sports guy and I don't know much about jock straps. So it was just an unbelievably hilarious phone call. And my mom would laugh about it too if she heard this. Yeah. It was just a very, and for even for her, that was actually a very random call. That is kind of random for her. I mean, she is a spicy Italian woman. Yes, she is. But we love this her very much. But this, uh, was, but this was a little. But this was still uh, very funny. Nowhere. Yeah. So I play this for Nicole, and I'm like, I kind of want to see what her response was, and she was like, Oh, ha ha ha, or whatever. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but I do remember thinking, Okay, she's not off put by that. That's good. You would have to meet my family and their right. sense of humor to go. Hmm. Yeah. Not that they joke about jock straps, but they they do sure. joke quite a bit. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, it was a funny first moment. And uh, yeah, but the the date, to put a bow on the date. So basically, we go, so we're getting sat. And one of the people seating us. The hostess. The hostess, I think. She turns to me and she says, she is very pretty. You're a very lucky boy. A very, very, very lucky boy. And I was like, <laughs> oh, well, date. thank you. We have known each other for three minutes. And I'm like, uh, we talked about jock straps, and now this woman who has seen me like three times a week for two years, yeah, is acting like she's never randomly goes. She's so pretty. You're a very lucky boy. You're so you're so lucky. So then I'm like, well, that was odd, but I'll take it, and I don't disagree. (laughs) But you know, I'll I'll take it. So then we sit down and we're eating, and then a waitress comes by, and she says almost the exact same thing, almost word for word. She says. 
uh, you guys are a cute couple. You're a very lucky boy. She is so pretty. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I didn't pay these people or anything. I know. I like, what's going on? I know. And so then, and then. Oh, man. This I is, remember there so, was a game on. So there was a there was a sushi bar section. And that's where I usually sat with my roommates when we came. And actually, Patrick and I, when we got sushi quite a bit on our own after that, mm-hmm. would go to the sushi bar. But we were sat at a table. And there was a game on over the sushi bar on a on a television. Mm-hmm. Did not realize it, but there were a table of gentlemen kind of I don't know, across the way from us watching okay. the game. Yeah, but I, I didn't got, know I didn't know they were watching the I game. I have to I have to jump in. So okay. this is the, the best part. Yeah. Um, so you know, so a waitress and a hostess both did the whole you're a lucky boy thing. And it was just so unusual. I'd never been on a date where something like that happened. Lots of affirmation. So then these guys that you were referring to here, they're sitting kind of in a booth, like four or five booths away across from us. And these are these big, burly dude type guys who who well, obviously look like, you know, they didn't even look. I mean, they look kind of thug. They they, they did. They, they weren't even thug, like. But they, they look like they would maybe try to jack our car outside. Yeah. I mean, they, no. Not yeah. Yeah. No. Totally. Totally. Stereotype. But they they had they 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 looked like punks. They were kinda. rough around the edges, and yeah. they were they were huge. They like, were huge. Like they could. They were kill you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were big big guys. Lots <laughs> of muscle and other stuff. So anyway, this guy. The, one of the guys at the table, they get up to leave. This is like probably three quarters of the way into our dinner. They get up to leave. And this big burly guy with his hat backwards and looks his like a pants, total like punk, below his underwear. His pants are, are a little bit sagging. Comes over to our table and he goes, I just want to say. And then he does the director thing with his fingers to make like a picture frame. Yeah. And he goes, I just want to say. You guys are a perfect couple. Right. He said like a perfect picture. A perfect picture. You guys really make a, a perfect picture. And he was like, I just feel like I need to say it. And we were like, what? We're like, what? <laughs> and then he just walked away. And I'm like, what? What is going on it was, with this day? It was really this weird. This is our first day. I have never had that happen since. No. <laughs> Not before either. Not even once. And it happened three times in a row. I kind of felt like, you know, big business there. And and you may think, like, maybe they recognized you. No, they didn't recognize me. No. I don't know what their deal was. Because next time I came in, I That's was a great like. story, though. I said to my roommates, like, watch how much they love me over here. Yeah. <laughs> and I walked in and they were like, I didn't even exist. And I was like. Yeah, I don't know what's. I don't know. Do you, I'm like, so it's weird. me, and they're like, good for you. <laughs> like, yeah. you, how many? <laughs> so I was like, okay, all right. Yeah, we had yeah. a really weird instance with them, yeah. but but yeah, I mean, we so we started off as much, uh, I guess, external validation as you could receive in a single first date. Yeah. And so we were walking out to the car, and despite it being a lovely time, I had a great time with him. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of validation from everybody around us at the restaurant. As we were walking out, I remember feeling like, I wonder if we'll have another date. It was eHarmony, I'll tell you. Like, I went on some really weird, I, I have some cr- crazy stories from eHarmony dates. Um, real, real interesting. But 
you know, and it was nice, but there was nothing to me even with all of that. We're like, oh, that's weird. I wonder if we'll go on a second date. That was my question. That was kind of my thought as we walk out because it's that walk out. It's like, what do you do? Do you hug? Do you shake a hand? We weren't like going to kiss on the first date or anything like that. We were just, yeah, okay, that was fun. You know, whatever. And so, and I'm thinking like, hopefully I live really close. So hopefully he's not like following my car because he's going to find out where I live. In LA, you can never be too careful. He seemed, he seemed cool, but still. And, <laughs> and as we walked out, I remember thinking like, he kind of was walking slowly and he's like, well, this was nice. And I just got the sense of like, oh, like I remember as he started to talk, I was like, oh, so this was, we're not going to have another day. Like that was just the feel. Because I was checking his, you know, cues and reading his body language. And in my, like, from what I surmised, you know, he was not very interested. But to my surprise, seconds later, he said, this was fun. You know, we should do it again sometime. And so we decided, okay, yeah, we'll do it again sometime. Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting because I, I feel like I have a pretty good intuition and pretty good spidey sense. And my whole read on that was wrong, which is funny for us to talk about now and after the fact. And your read was different, right? You were kind I of... probably was a bundle of nerves. <laughs> you were on this very validating date. But yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if you even recall, like, if I was giving off any vibes or cues in terms of whether this was going to go to a second date or not. I think the vibe I got from you was you were open to anything. That was the vibe. Yeah. yeah. I, I got the vibe that you had a good time and mm -hmm. that if you and that you would go on another date or if I said I was interested. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, I thought you liked it and enjoyed the time. Yeah. So. so we went on another date and we ended up seeing each other for a couple weeks, month or so. I feel like it was like months later <laughs> that we were like, we're dating, <laughs> even though we had been dating. I remember because, again, he was pretty upfront pretty quickly about just the difficulty and pain that he experienced in his last real relationship. And so he had been on other dates before he had been on a date with me, but he hadn't dated anybody b between me and his ex. And so even saying that we were going out, like we were going out, we were dating like once a week, but we weren't calling it dating. Yeah. It wasn't official. And so, and I remember just trying to follow his cues. Like he was, I felt like if I had said, you're my boyfriend, he would have totally freaked out before then. Yeah. Yeah. I so, would have. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? Because we were dating. We were acting like people dating, but we weren't calling it dating because that mm -hmm. might be too much for you. And I sensed that and I was okay with it because I didn't care what it was called. It wasn't about the label for me. I was just enjoying getting to know him more. But well, once you're a boyfriend and girlfriend, that means that if it doesn't work out, that's an official breakup. You so, know, so like it, 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 you you're solidifying something by yeah. calling it that. Now, if you're just saying let's go out to dinner, there's like very little risk in that, or or uh, let's uh, go out to coffee or something. 
Yeah. Well, you know, so it that's it, just two people having fun. You know? What's funny is we've not really processed that aspect of it. I just thought of that. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, again, like it, from a relationship OCD perspective, you can see how, you know, if we make this official, then there's this pressure mm-hmm. because now we could break up. Even though we were pretty much already acting like we were dating and had we stopped dating, it would have probably felt like a microcosm of a breakup. It wasn't, you know, Mm -hmm. super serious yet. It wouldn't have been the end of the world. But Patrick was very afraid of getting hurt, understandably, or hurting somebody else, as he said. So So as we got into that relationship, he told me, I remember so early on in our conversations, he talked to me about how he and his ex never fought ever, ever, ever. He's not a conflict. He had a couple of like disagreements. Not disagree. Yeah, but it was never fighting. There was never fighting. It was complete bliss. It was complete harmony until the breakup. Yep. And so. And that would be a red flag. uh, Yeah. At the time, I didn't know it, but, so at you know, the, I was 20. So he told me about this, and he was not 20 anymore when we met. No. We were in our late 20s. But when he told me this, I did, I think I probably very directly said, wow, that's a red flag. <laughs> like I'm do. sure you did. Like I do. Patrick and I, we have a joke. He He puts doilies on things a lot. He puts a lot of lovely little... Fluff and comfort. Doilies for days. Doilies for days. Little little something something around any verbal verbal doilies. Verbal doilies. Yeah, yeah let's be clear. I'm not actually putting doilies. I mean, that. we're in the Midwest. You could put an actual doily. He doesn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, like, I might clarify. say I might say I'm something. I I still do I still do doilies even with the kids. I notice. I know. Like I'll say, Emma, I don't want you doing that. You can get hurt. I love you. But don't do it. Like, I always have to throw in that I love you. It's the doily. It's like, yeah. don't worry. Yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah. Like, Let me reassure you. Let me give you that reassurance. You're not the worst. Whereas I'm yeah. like, Emma, you're the worst. Get out. No, just kidding. I don't talk to her. <laughs> I don't say that. Yeah. But I am a lot more direct. Definitely. Yeah, Emma's our youngest. Father, daughter, you know. Yeah. So what I will say is we got into this relationship and he said we never, my ex and I, we never really fought. And I think he was saying this as feedback because we had had not fights, but we had had. Conflict. Conflict, disagreements, not even like real serious conflict, just like I'm pretty opinionated, strong woman. (laughs) yes i (laughs) guess i gravitate towards that so i was like you know if he was like if he had said i don't know how i feel about this i'll be like it's wrong that's how i feel about that that's wrong and he would be like (laughs) you definitely feel anxious just thinking about it he he liked it like when we would go to restaurants i'd be like we need to go like where's the waiter waiter like, come, we need to bill now or whatever. And yeah. he was like, I love that. I don't have to hail anybody. I'm just like, I don't have to be like, I'm so sorry. Oh, you're doing such a great job. I, I, I love all the service, but can you like, possibly bring our check, please? I'd be like, yo, we need our, we need to get going. Parking's Absolutely. running out. <laughs> like, like, you know, bring the bill, please. I would, I'd be nice about it, but I was direct. And so in response to that, that was like definitely uh, a little bit of adding some waves in your direction. That had to actually kind of scare the shit out of you a little bit. Yes and no. I mean, I did grow up with a mother who was pretty (laughs) strong-willed. 
And I would say my, I, I would say there's people in my family in general who can be strong-willed, but so it wasn't like out of the ordinary that much, but yeah, it was, it was definitely the, the big thing for me was learning that it's okay for there to be conflict. Yeah. Like that was a hard lesson for me to learn. Like conflict can be a very healthy thing depending right. on what's going on, what the context is. Right, right. Conflict can be really good, but the distress, the discomfort that comes with conflict was painful for you. And It even, was for sure. And back even then, yeah. a little bit of it felt like a lot because he mm -hmm. had been so sideswiped, so broadsided mm -hmm. by surprises in the past. And really, you know, what we've been talking, what I was talking about earlier with ROCD and in terms of having reading into what does the conflict mean? Does that mean this is good? Does that mean it's not good? Trying to constantly evaluate the status of the relationship based on tone, based on what someone did say or didn't say. And, you know, it, all of these yeah. different pieces were constantly ticking in the back of the mind of like, you know, is this going to be the right relationship or not? I remember when he told me, I, we were on the phone. I remember I was at my house and he called and he had told me something over the phone that I believe he thought I was going to be like, oh, that is so sweet. Like he's, he called to tell me like, you know, I vow to not like cause other people in relationship pain ever. Like this is like mm -hmm. my, my, my vow. And I was like, oh. And when he said that to me, I was like, you know what? We're going to really wrestle on that one because <laughs> that's not going to work with I me. could not believe that was your answer. I know. <laughs> I was like, that shit won't fly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like, I vowed, even though you're, we're in this new relationship, I vow this to you. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> it's like, that, sh that shit will not pass the sniff test here. And he was like, what? <laughs> we're like, throw that vow in the paper shredder. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> but, you know, to me, it was a red flag if we didn't allow room for it was pain to come into the relationship. And so we were both in our own way in this constant kind of evaluation space, which when you're dating, you think that's dating for you, right? Like that's dating for you. But as we got to know each other more, as we got more involved, and we dated for a couple years before we got married, I remember even even like a year into dating each other, mm -hmm. I loved Patrick. I felt loved by Patrick. I knew he loved me too. But I didn't say it because there was a very, and that was a conscious decision. As much as I'm like, just be direct, I was like, that will push him. That will push him and he will not be able to handle, even though we loved each other, mm -hmm. he would not be able to handle that because this will kind of escalate his anxiety about the relationship. Yeah, that's probably true. So, you know, it took at least a year and it was it was clunky when we got to the point of finally admitting <laughs> that we loved each other, to put it mildly. But why don't you tell me what was that? experience like for you because in terms of getting closer to me getting closer to potentially what if what if we do get married being triggered by what happened in past relationships kind of swirling in your own anxiety about it like what was it like for you okay yeah so 
for me, it was a step-by-step process. I remember, you know, I don't think there was anything in particular that happened as much as it was. I remember just getting incrementally more and more and more comfortable over time. I know that's a simple answer, but that, that is what I think it is. Yeah. We had a crockpot relationship. Yes. It was slow to simmer. <laughs> very, very slow to Party, simmer. but slow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just, it's almost like eventually the frog just boiled and it worked. Is that, is that how it, <laughs> it's romantic. <laughs> so romantic. Something we could tell our children. <laughs> the frog boiled. Well, like Emma, the frog boiled. She'd be like, what? I did it. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah. So it, it was very, very slow. And I remember feeling like if I, if I am too verbal about my love or appreciation, it's going to push him. If I'm not verbal enough, because Patrick, something that's very true about Patrick is he is a verbal praise, a verbal processor, a verbal, a lover of all things verbal. That's uh, true. He's he's an introvert, so he has to be in the mood for the verbal. <laughs> no, so it's interesting. I'm an introvert, but I am super verbal one-on-one. Mm-hmm. I could talk for hours one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a misunderstanding a lot of times that introverted people don't like to talk. It's just that I like to talk to one or two really close people and that's it. I don't really (laughs) like talking to other people as much. Yeah. Although I love hearing affirmation all the time from everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember feeling like it was a little bit of a tightrope walk. Now, was it? I mean, maybe he would have had those responses, but was it my job to manage those responses? No. But I felt like if I push him, I'm going to freak him out. If I don't say enough, I'm going to he's going to feel not enough. Like like I'm not interested enough. And so and he's nodding. So well that that's true probably on how he would have responded, that doesn't mean that was my responsibility to manage it for him. Right. But this is where I come into relationship OCD and kind of what my role ends up being. You know, I don't know if it's the therapist in me or what, but I'm very attuned to other people's cues. It's not that I'm not in touch with my own, but I tend to, especially in building a relationship, really prioritize my empathy and understanding of the other person's experience. And I don't do as good of a job at verbalizing my needs. And I'm going to say this, he's going to be like, yes, or verbalizing my apologies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I, he's, he's a lot better at apologizing than I am. You've gotten a lot better. I've gotten better. I've, In I've, the beginning, you weren't so good. In the beginning, I would say more probably of our marriage, because in dating, you're like on your best behavior. You're like, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't but, count dating. Yeah. But when we're married, I'm like, I'm not sorry for shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, just kidding. No, no you're not. <laughs> <laughs> You've improved. Good job. Well, it was definitely something where I know that there are times where I needed to, but it was like my pride. It was it was a hard thing to mm-hmm. go oh my gosh like i i feel like i'm in too it's deep so now to delicious say to hear you say this <laughs> even after all these years 
Worth it. <laughs> Worth the wait. <laughs> Isn't that the first time I've said it? I know, I know. But yeah, but publicly, like he's soaking in the verbal affirmation here. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. But what I will say is, like, I I had a really hard time at really, I would say, putting down that wall and saying, I am going to just put it out there. And you know what? That might be hard for you to hear that I love you. It might be hard to hear that I could see us getting married. It might be hard to hear all of those things. But it also is hard for me to not not know even though I felt like I knew from the way that you acted and responded to me and the quality of our relationship that this is essentially why we're still dating. We wouldn't still be dating if this wasn't headed towards something more. And yet I felt like we couldn't talk about it. And it's not that we couldn't, but it was my perception. Like if you do this, it's going to overwhelm him and it probably would have overwhelmed him. But oh, well, like what? Mm -hmm. Now I'm not worried about overwhelming him. (laughs) Like, you know, I, if I'm like, he's going to have a reaction. Okay, well, he's going to, he's a grown person that can manage his reaction. I need to be able to say what is going on from my side of it, for better, for worse. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that has gotten us to a much better place in our relationship for both of us to be able to do that. But at the time, we didn't. And I don't know if you sense from me that actually, I don't think I've ever asked you what your sense of me during that time was because we were so like on his step by step schedule. And I was like, I don't care because I know I feel confident in where we're going. But I mean, was I that confident if I if I wasn't willing to say it because it might shake things too much? I mean, that's where the ROCD came in for me. It was like, oh, no, I'm I'm confident. I'm confident. I can't. I can't think anything but confident, but if I were to like, you know, say, I love you, honey, then that would throw our whole balance off. So it was a very weird kind of space. And I don't fault you for that. I mean, that was what I was, that was my stuff that I was bringing into the relationship. But I don't know what that was like for you, because maybe you felt like, oh, she wants to go faster or further or or want more commitment than I'm no, no, to give. No. I don't know what it was. Like. We actually haven't talked about it in that way. No, I um, when you told me that you loved me, I knew you loved me. So that wasn't a surprise. And it was great hearing that you loved me. I also felt fear because it was like, all right, we're taking a step forward again. And it, I felt fear from it. It was something I knew was overdue from both of us. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew it was overdue. There was nothing surprising about it. And I knew, and I didn't feel like you were pushing things fast. I, well, that's good. Because I I wasn't pushing. No, think I knew we were overdue. Yeah. Is my point. Like you, you were, going slow for my benefit at the time. I knew that. I knew it. I sensed it or I knew it directly. Either one. I knew that. But yeah, I mean, for me, I think I just struggled with the fear around taking another step. Yeah. And I think that brought up some fears for the future for you that you had verbalized. And I wasn't necessarily saying, hey, we're getting married. You know, mm-hmm. I was just being like, I love you. Yeah, but it showed my fear of what saying I love you would mean. Right. Because it meant that now we're now we're more serious. Now we're pretty much getting married. Like, yeah. The, yeah. Even though that the is only, not where the we The only were. other person I had ever said I love you to was somebody who we were planning to get married. 
Right. I didn't know what it was like to say I love you to somebody that you don't marry or that you don't intend to marry. Right. Yeah. So anyway, we had some learning to do along the way. And, you know, something that I had done my own therapy. I am a therapist. I think doing your own therapy when you're a therapist is an important practice. I think it's helpful whether you're a therapist or not. But I think when you're caring a lot for other people, it's important to have a therapist that you can process things through. And in relationships, what I had found kind of the dynamic to be up until the point that I dated Patrick was that I, because, and again, this was me, I would not really divulge what my needs or wants in a relationship would be. And it was very focused towards the other person. And then by the time I realized, hey, I have needs and I want to assert that too, it felt like there wasn't room for me to be like, and I want this in the relationship because that's not how relationship goes. It's all about the other person. And so, you know, in processing that with my therapist at the time, not an OCD therapist, she was, you know, looking at me having this cycle of getting into relationships with narcissistic men and what was that about, you know, and all of that. And honestly, it's at the time I was like, yeah, she's right. I'm doing this. I'm not saying everybody I dated was a narcissist, but because again, a large piece of this was me withholding it. And then me feeling like me having any wants or needs was me being too much, me being extra, me being high maintenance for this relationship. The relationships didn't verbalize this to me. This was my result. If I have a need or a want in this relationship, then obviously I'm too extra for this relationship, which, you know, is impossible. Like you, everybody right. is going to have needs and wants in a relationship. And so at the time, like, I'm like, yeah, why am I with all these narcissistic men? And I remember at one point, during one of our slow step building, our slow simmers in the crock pot, Patrick had said to me, like, how are you doing with all of this? Like, you know, this, I know this has been going at the rate it's going. We're kind of talking about the process a bit. And I wonder how it impacts you that I had had this past relationship. And this is kind of the baggage that I'm carrying with this. And I was like, you know what? I have a lot of empathy for how painful and traumatizing of a situation that must have been. And I'm, you know, I'm happy in our relationship and I'm grateful for what what each date brings, you know, I'm enjoying it. And so I remember at the time him saying, wow, thank you. Thank you for being empathetic. But, you know, I, I didn't ask you how you felt about me feeling this way. I asked, how do you feel about it? And I remember going, like it was it was this moment it was the first time somebody had actually said, wait a minute, you're not answering the question. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was. And that's how I was. That's how I was in relationship. <laughs> I, I, he's like, <laughs> I was there. Mm-hmm. Yes. I there was a constant me thinking I'm engaging in the relationship. And really, I was in my head. I was I was being very empathetic and loving. That was not disingenuous. But I really was not allowing myself to participate. I was like at this head level of like, this makes sense. And we're just, you know, we're getting to know each other and it's okay. And so again, that's the kind of thing where in hindsight, we can go, oh, it wasn't necessarily me being in a relationship with all these narcissistic men, but it was also me just not being in the relationship and kind of keeping myself behind a wall 
uh, focused on their needs. Focused on their needs and protecting myself and, right. and in a way, some self-preservation. And we had mm-hmm. we had talked about, you know, just past relationship stuff. We both had, a, had our own kind of traumas. And it was a protective mechanism that I didn't really recognize I did. And I did it so naturally and subtly that, you know, if you weren't really on your game, and not to say men can't be on their game, but it's not its not generally like the, hmm, let me examine what you're really thinking and feeling about this thing in this way. And he was like, oh, you answered how you feel about me feeling this, but that's not how you feel. Like, how do you feel? How does it affect you? And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was it was kind of scary, but a good scary, you know, and I like genuine connection. Yeah. You know? Well, and it's not that I wasn't genuine before, but I didn't even no, catch. I, I didn't even catch like th- I, that's how I. I just wanted to go deeper. Yeah, with you, you did, and you recognize. Whereas maybe some other people I dated in the past would be like, "Oh, she's so great," you I know, know feels so good, feels really good that she understands and is so considerate of where I'm coming from, mm. not realizing that I totally didn't answer the question. So our our dating relationship had a lot of different elements from both of our sides coming into it with some relationship anxiety. When we got married, let's talk about getting married a little bit. When we got married, there is this idea, even though everybody says it's there's not a magic wand, you don't say I do, and everything's like, you know, like you're in a fairy tale Uh land. Definitely not. But at the same time, I think we both came into marriage with some expectations, even though we thought we did a really good job of, like, working through all that. And, you know, I was a marriage and family therapist, so, like, got I mean, that going for us. I think everybody goes into marriage with expectations. Yeah. I think it's just part of being human. But, yeah, I yeah. hear you. But we did. We had expectations. <laughs> we had expectations. We very quickly decided to go to marriage therapy. We I mean, did. We did. I mean, I feel like were we even married six weeks? I don't even know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, that was probably like overly eager. We're very expressive, sensitive people. And so we were like, <laughs> and then we immediately went in. We probably did not need that level yeah. of intervention at that time. But we were very, very quick to respond to different feelings and so why don't would you be willing to describe a little bit about what that was like getting into marriage kind of early marriage sure yeah yeah it was interesting you know i i think growing up you get a sense of you know wait till marriage and this is a a god-designed connection thing um, not just sex, but just the whole thing of marriage is like, you know, it's such a sacred thing. And I do think it is sacred. It, but I think what happened for me was I went into marriage with a little bit of a rose-colored glasses thinking. And mm-hmm. I don't think I would have said that that was the case at the time. I believed I had a pretty balanced view, but I think everybody in the moment they're in always thinks they're in a balanced view. Um, so I, I thought, you know, I like, I thought, yeah, you know, it'll be great. It won't be perfect, but it'll be great. But still, 
there was a big piece of me that expected more, not because you weren't good enough or anything. You were. You were more than good enough, and you are today. You're more than good enough. But the, I think I went in thinking of almost like a, like a transformational experience or something was going to occur. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I don't know. It, it just, it, I think, and a lot of that stemmed from my upbringing, but not just like in the family setting, but just in the whole Christian setting in general, I would say. There was a lot of sense of like, you know, if you do the right things and you marry the right person, the implication is like, if you do everything right and you play your cards right, that that is the path to the best life possible. And there's sort of a message of like, I don't know, like, if you just follow the rules and do these things the right way, that you will be rewarded for that. And, you know, I didn't go, I I think I had too much of that perspective, and I didn't have enough of the sense of like, well, getting married is just, um, you wake up the same person you were the day before. Mm-hmm. It isn't you're with not a, with like a twenty thousand dollar bill from, yeah, that, yeah, from yeah. that big party you went to yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, it it there was just a lot of growing up that I had to do in learning about what first of all, what marriage really is, which is awesome. Marriage is an amazing thing and it keeps us from living a life of total selfishness. Not that people who aren't married can't be unselfish, but marriage definitely will humble you in ways that you really don't expect, honestly. I don't think anyone really can, but I definitely had an overinflated view of what marriage was going to be. I had been the good kid growing up and, you know, did, did everything I could to do things the right way. And I'm not saying I was disappointed. I'm just saying that once I got married, I'm like, oh, I'm just still Patrick, the same person I was the day before. And nothing sort of, you know, it was almost like, um, it was almost like, you know, expecting that this, in this moment, I will be transformed into something else. And then you do, and you're like, nothing happened. It was kind of like that in the sense of like, oh, just a big reality check, a Mm -hmm. huge reality check. And again, it wasn't disappointment. It wasn't like I was disappointed in you or us or anything Mm -hmm. like that. It really wasn't. I was very happy with what was going on and all that. (laughs) I just was, I just, it was really interesting how much I had these weird, very interesting uh, set of expectations and it was a big learning experience. Yeah, I think that I I think that first of all, in getting ready to get married, you're planning for this event. You're putting a lot of pressure, you know, pressure makes diamonds. Oh my goodness. We you we plan the crap out of this event. There's so much build up, there's so much anticipation. The actual day flies by. And it's like your body gets gives out afterwards because you've been stressing about getting to this day. You get exhausted. You get sick. You whatever. And then you realize, like, well, actually, now we're we're married. Right after we got back from our honeymoon, 
you had to go to Germany for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and so this was the start of our, our marriage. We got a dog who broke her leg and it was really tragic. There were just, you know, lots of little. And expensive. And expensive. It was a very expensive couple mm -hmm. of months there. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. And, you know, it was. I think there was this idea that, you know, you're, this is something special that you are going to experience. And so you need to make sure you make the right choice, right? right. Uh, we lived in LA, which was an intense environment to be dating in, to get married in, and it was expensive. So we were in that environment and it was like, but we're going to be rewarded. And it's not to say we weren't. And I and I so I get what you're saying there, but it's a little bit like you're in this bubble and you're going to you're going to experience like this next level thing. And then you get married and you're still and you realize I am in a bubble, actually, but I thought there was something outside the bubble. All there is is the bubble. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you go, oh, shit, like this is <laughs> I mean, we loved each other. Like, I did know that it wouldn't be what I expected it to be, but it still wasn't what I expected it to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Kind of a paradoxical yes. thing. Yeah. And I think that's true. I think that's yeah. true. And, you know, whether it's whether you're looking at, you know, we had kind of already blended our finances. We paid for the wedding and all that. And we started that process earlier. But you're just like, man, these things are supposed to work out and we're communicating about it. And even still, it was hard, right? It's funny what you were saying about you realize like you're not going to be selfish. When, when we were dating, Patrick was the most selfless human being. I would just like swear by that. I would say, you know, he only thinks of others. He's so selfless. He's giving me a look. He's the most selfless person ever. And then immediately we were both feeling <laughs> like, man, that person is so selfish. My spouse is selfish. And the reality is we are all selfish. Yeah. We all have our selfish moments. And it's really hard. It's so funny because, you know, like we have younger kids and it's like you're trying to train them to not be selfish, but you're selfish. I mean, we are we're yeah. selfish people. It's it's hard. We have expectations for children. To get along and share and do things a lot better than we often do as adults, which That's is so true. A whole nother story. But it was kind of like the adults are children without accountability. Yeah. That's a really interesting statement. Oh, cross stitch that on a pillow. <laughs> Gnaw on that for a little bit. But yeah, I mean, it it was very interesting. And, you know, for all the doilies that Patrick does like to throw out, there were a lot less doilies after he got me. <laughs> That's true. Bye yeah. bye, doilies. We would get in. We would get in these arguments sometimes, <laughs> where you'd be like, "I gotta walk around the block." And yeah, um, that's true. How much you want to bet that so many listeners listening to this are like, "This is what my marriage was like." Like, this is probably a very common experience. I'm sure it is. But at the time, you're like, "Man, if this is how it's going." Like, and, and again, we never were like, we're leaving each other. Or we made never, a mistake. No. Nothing like that. But it was kind of like, again, within ROCD, you're just like, well, it shouldn't be going like this, right? No, it should be better, which is probably why we were in counseling at like six weeks in for the, the I'm sure the counselors were really just like, oh my gosh, you guys, you're just, you're just really green. You're just go home. <laughs> it's all right. Take a pill. Uh, we would have been better if we took a pill, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe that was the lesson. 
Oh, just kidding. A little bit bit kidding. But yeah. So anyway, they're... Legal pills. What? Legal pills. Legal pills. (laughs) Can never be too clear. (laughs) Yes, legal pills. And so, yeah, it was definitely a learning process. And I think that, um, you know, it still is. But at this point, we've been married 10 years. And it's amazing. Arguably, it's better than it's it's better. Like it just there's a level of understanding. There's a level of learning to just assert things, even if you're afraid of how it comes across. Yeah. And uh, allowing room for the discomfort and pain has actually made it a richer, better relationship. But it has. trying to protect each other from that. And I think that's part of what died when we got married we you know we we were so trying to kind of put the best foot forward that we weren't putting ourselves forward to each other we weren't because that did risk pain that did risk frustration that did risk resentment that did risk you know all the different negative feelings but by not putting ourselves forward then we ended up feeling farther apart and so Mm -hmm. really the process of learning how to communicate about our shit and doesn't mean we always get the answer right doesn't mean we do it perfectly each time we're imperfect people for sure but actually getting out of our head allowed us to get into the relationship a lot more in every, in every single way. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the thing about ROCD. It's like, it's, you can get so stuck evaluating what does this mean? And if this happened, what does that mean? And is this good or bad? Or am I, are they saying this is my fault or is it not my fault? Because if it's my fault, then I'm all bad and it's all my fault and it can't be my fault and it's their fault. And you, you can completely get lost in the compulsions there Mm -hmm. of like you know checking and reassuring yourself or seeking reassurance from the other person and it really still seek reassurance to this day yes he does well and it's not a terrible thing to want validation like we said you're well and some people need to check in and sometimes you need to check in with the person but it is different hey are you all right yeah Things like like yesterday, for example. Yesterday, I was exhausted. We were naughty all week. We stayed up super late because we were binge watching Stranger Things. <laughs> and even when we stopped ourselves one night, when we realized the like final finale of the most recent season was super long, it's like, like three hours. We're like, we're like, we gotta stop. We're crazy. Yeah. Our morning us is gonna hate evening us right right. so we went to bed i felt proud of us and i was still like completely dead to the world in the morning i'm like i can't i can't run on this little sleep anymore but we were so tired and i was exhausted and patrick was like what's wrong what's wrong with you you kind of seem depressed and not happy and i was like i (laughs) am exhausted and sleepy and he's like okay are you sure that nothing's wrong that you're not upset and i'm like yeah I mean, you really looked upset. And then he said it like three times. I and know. by this point, now it's annoying me. So now he's perceiving some kind of bit of frustration. And I'm like, I'm frustrated that you keep asking me when I'm tired. And I don't have as much frustration tolerance when I'm tired to re-answer the same question again and again. 
And so it was one of those things like, but if you're mad at me, like we need to talk about this. And I'm like, I'm not mad at you, but I'm getting mad at you <laughs> because we're just That's also about better than I used to be. That is. The- <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, that's true. Baby so, steps. Baby steps. No, he has actually come a very long way to even say, are you mad at me? You, usually he'd be like, I think she's mad at me. Why is she mad at me? Well, I'm mm-hmm. kind of mad that she's mad because if it's about this, like we've not had a conversation at all. This is all in his head. Mm-hmm. And then like a month or two later of that same stuff brewing uh, with layers of 20 other experiences on top, then it was like, I can't take this anymore. He wears his emotions on his sleeve, too. I so do. he walks in like Eeyore. I wish I didn't. He walks in like Eeyore, and I'm like, "What? what's going on? And he'll be like, nothing. I'm like, really? <laughs> just out with it. Like, I don't want to, no song and dance. So like, he's the doily. Like, I love you so much, and you're pretty, and all these things. And I'm just like, just say it. Say it. What? What's going on? <laughs> like, what? what's wrong with you? You're in a mood. And he's like, <sighs> and I'm like, oh. It's, it's like pulling it out of you. Although I don't pull as much anymore, because I'm like, you know what? It's on him if he's going to. That's true. Has feelings. That's his responsibility. It's not my responsibility. Pull him out of him. Mm-hmm. But again, this is something that, again, in my RLCD, I would, I would do. I would feel like it's my responsibility to get this response out of him, and then it's my responsibility to handle it well. Because if I don't handle it well, then he's going to be like, "This is why I don't want to give responses." And then you know, like this, this, mm-hmm. this dynamic, and I would be playing this whole thing out in my head. The game. The yeah. game. Instead of just letting him respond, yay or nay. You know, and so that's kind of how ROCD kind of showed up in our relationship. At this point, yeah, we're pretty good at calling each other on it. We are. And and honestly, it's better. It's- we are really much better at communicating today Yeah, than we ever have been, I think. We were really good at communicating. Yeah. I think. Thank you for that. So... For our intrusive thoughts segment then today for the application piece of like what has helped our communication to improve? What has helped us to come out of this stronger in the long run? One of the things I think we did that helped is we at a at a certain point, because it was really hard for Patrick to confront me. And I am a strong woman, so like he <laughs> You're the person who gets airlines to change tickets when they have no need to and like give you free stuff because you demand it like you're a scary person sometimes i'm not scary i'm just uh i am gentle but firm (laughs) yes yeah so what i one of the things that we did and cute thank you but yeah the one of the things that we did is we started a sunday night tradition Mm-hmm. I'll tell this to clients sometimes, depending on the situation. But uh, we started a, a Sunday night tradition, and it was a tra- it was every Sunday night we're going to check in and we're going to say if there's anything that's bothering us. Now, my mo was something's bothering me, so I'm going to tell you I'm bothered. Like that was my MO. right then and there, right then and there, pull off the bandaid. Yeah, but <laughs> I needed it. more practice. But he, but Patrick had a really hard time. So having a designated time when he knew it was okay to come forward, to share. And I just want to say, like, part of the thing that was hard for me was I would bottle up stuff 
and then get really frustrated. And then usually by the time the carbonation is exploding in the bottle, by that time, usually you were in like an angry mood because we had been fighting or something. And so that's when I would share what I'm feeling. And it never worked out. It never worked out yeah. because it just was the bad times. I never knew when was the right time, but the right time was to just be honest right when things happened before they bubbled and turned into issues. And that's why Sunday was so helpful for me because if something would happen, even if it's a mild irritation and it's not even a big deal, I could always be like, I'll tell her on Sunday. And then I would know that on Sunday you would be primed to hear it. And you wouldn't be angry because we're in the middle of a fight and I'm just blowing up because I can't hold it in anymore. Right. And it's not, you know, to say that we were fighting all the time. We were no, not, no, we were no, not no, no, no. fighting all the time. Not at all. But when we would have these fights sometimes, you know, and we rarely, I feel like, fight now. But every now and then when we do, it's like a, a little bit of a marathon because we're like both. We need to learn and we know this about ourselves, and we do kind of try to bring it up in the moment. <laughs> it doesn't ever really quite work the way we have planned for it to go. Uh, we're both being really sensitive and, like, overreacting right now. Because if you say that to the other person when they're like, I need you to hear me, and I feel like you're not hearing me, and someone's like, you're just being overly sensitive, and you need to stop. You're like, shut up. Yes, <laughs> right? Like exactly. that's, not, that's not like that. No, we don't say shut up to each other. But no, but no. that but that was kind of the thing. And so I, one of the things that we started doing was the Sunday night check-in. And very quickly, we grew out of doing Sunday night check-ins because mm -hmm. Patrick learned it's okay to say what I need to say when I need mm -hmm. it. And because we were so intentional about having a time when we were planning to share anything, and both of us were going to come primed to listen, we got to the place where we, Sunday night would come and be like, you know what? I don't have anything. Because yeah. we just got... Because we had already been sharing things naturally. in real time. And it wasn't <laughs> even something where we had gone like, I intentionally shared that in the moment before Sunday. It was just like, it just ebbed and flowed. And yeah. we got to a place where Sundays, like, we didn't really need Sunday. And if we did, we would use it. But it was it just became a more natural process that we dealt with in the moment. Yeah. So I think that can be helpful when you're playing out a relationship dynamic in your head and you're getting caught really in your head. Mm -hmm. As scary as it feels to communicate that and you feel like you got to solve that shit all on your own, mm -hmm. just say it. Just say it out loud. And I will also say bottling things does not work. <laughs> I was with my therapist and he i was telling him at one point like this was when right around the time when we were doing the sunday thing i think i told him you know i there are times where xyz will happen with nicole and i will just be like like throw my hands up inside and just be like ugh and not talk about it because I would not know what to do. And he's, and he gave me a suggestion. So I tried it out and we were having Mexican food one time at a local restaurant. And I remembered that al almost a perfect scenario came up that was similar to this, which was like, normally I would bottle things up. And so I remember in particular, I was there and I tried what he described. I said, you know, 
I, rather than bottling things up or rather than just airing a grievance, there was an alternative, which was, he was basically saying, right now, what you're doing is making me feel X and it's making me feel like I just want to shut down and not participate anymore and just kind of retreat. But I know what that does to you when I do that. So I'm not going to. And you had the biggest positive response to that ever. I remember you were like, wow, like, like, <laughs> like something had changed. And I was like, wow, that's really awesome. That, like, it was basically, you know, not just airing a grievance, but it was also because, you know, like, I don't even remember what it was. I mean, that's the point of all fights, right? You don't remember what they are. I have no idea. But all I remember was in that moment, I, I was like, I'm not going to shut down because I know that how that hurts you and that pulls us apart or whatever. I don't know exactly how I said but it. But also it hurts you. I mean, it, it does. It, it, you know, That's bottling it, things up. Yeah. 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 And so being able to risk putting it out there. And mm -hmm. the thing is, again, like with me, with my ROCD, I would need to solve all that in my head. And, mm -hmm. like, exactly. and it was so much pressure on me and it was like i could just say it out loud sometimes there's nothing to solve it's just to put it out there and right that's probably, like i don't like that you're doing that and that's probably <laughs> why it okay. was so foreign for me to try something like that mm -hmm. because that like what does that solve just me saying i'm just going to be open wounded with you right now it's like well what does that <laughs> what does that do right like but it did it fixed it yeah. it fixed yeah. the problem yeah yeah. Like, I, I don't remember exactly how. I just remember it fixed it very I feel like, clearly. I feel like I vaguely kind of re recall this situation. I kind of vaguely recall. And I just remember him basically saying, I'm not going to shut down. I would usually, but right. I'm, I'm feeling this right now. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Way to go, man. Yeah. Like, like good for you. Yes. Yeah. And and not in a patronizing way. In no, a, no like, it wasn't at all. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Okay. That's good for me to know because I didn't know I was coming off whatever way or mm -hmm. or the, you know, whatever dynamic was happening with the kids at that yeah. moment was coming off that way. And so it was able to be kind of a recalibration of like, okay, but had you not said that, then that yeah, would have I just... could have either confronted you all snowballed frustrated snowballed or I could have kept bottled it up. And mm -hmm. either one of those... I mean, it's better to confront than bottle, and it's probably even better to do the other thing that I said. <laughs> like, if yeah. you're going to do one of the two, confront. But, yeah. but there is that option, too, of just communicating the distress you're in and saying, listen, I don't want to bottle this up. I don't want to retreat. Yeah. I want to be here with you. Yeah. How can I be here with you? You know, I'm frustrated, but you know. Yeah. And that, like, just the the being like willing to keep the other person's feelings in mind and to give the other person an opening to come yeah. in and and talk into that. Situation. Have empathy, yeah. but not making yourself feel like you have to be a doormat for the sake of the other person. Exactly. Like really, and that honestly is a similar problem that I've had in relationship mm -hmm. because I will often keep myself so closed off that when I'm like, 
there's no room for me in here. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, that's kind of my doing. But yeah. at the same time, it's really kind of being in the relationship. And one of the things that I talked about earlier, which you you weren't here when I was recording the first part of the podcast, but one of the things I was talking about earlier was, you know, you can't, if you're in obsessional worry about the the relationship, then you're not in the relationship. You're in yeah. your head. Yeah. And you can't have the relationship in your head. So you have to come yeah. out of your head. You know what? That's a really good point. It's kind of like you got to get out of simulation mode and get into living mode. Right. Because then you're. Yeah. I'm reading his cues and I'm hey. reading my cues and yeah. all of this stuff. And it's not even what's going on. And I definitely do that or di did that quite a bit. Yeah. I don't do it as much, but I di definitely did. Yeah, for, sure. for both of us. We've made a lot of growth and progress on this. Yeah. But this is definitely something where I would get caught up and go, oh. And we didn't want to sit in the distress. I'm, I'm okay with experiencing the distress. I don't love it, but I'm, uh, I'm willing to go through it for the health of the relationship. And that being said, <laughs> he's like, I hate conflict. But that's what that means to him, conflict and distress. I don't hate it as much as I used to. Though. Yeah. But what I will say is, like, that is what has led us to be, you know, some of the most distressing, just airing things out have been some of the most loving, rewarding moments in our relationship, being vulnerable. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and so really speaking to that piece in ROCD where you cannot have a relationship in your head, I mean, that person is going to piss you off. They're going to do it all wrong. Mm -hmm. You are going to be unhappy. You are going to never feel like this will change because you're in your head. You have to experience the relationship. And that is what that is what the research shows. That is what the therapy does. It helps really you to say, okay, I'm going to experience a relationship. And then if we come across conflict, we can evaluate together. Is this good? Is it bad? Is it something I can deal with? Is it not? Versus you having this whole thing run in your head. For better, for worse. Sometimes you have good moments run in your head, but most of them are not. Yeah. Most of it is... Uh, is and honestly, all the stuff in your head, it, it doesn't pan out most of the time anyway. Like, right. it's kind of like there's a, some kind of saying, I'm going to butcher it, but some kind of saying about how, you know, you can analyze teams all you want but at the end of the day they have to play the game you won't know who's going to win until they actually play you could have a team on some sport that is favored to win three to one and they can still lose yeah you still have to play the game it doesn't matter what the what, what the analysis is beforehand yeah similarly Brene Brown I love Brene Brown she did a I think she did like a tech conference She's done lots of different speaking engagements, lots of books. She's amazing. Podcasts, all, the, all sorts of things. But Brene Brown once said, basically, you know, when people are criticizing, and this goes for yourself, when you're criticizing yourself or criticizing your relationship, like, if I'm going to butcher this one as well. But if they're sitting there watching on the sidelines and they're commenting on what's going on, they're they're criticizing the relationship. I just don't give a shit on what they say until they're actually in the arena and actually in this actual situation. Yep. And so it's so easy to to gawk, to make a judgment call or 
evaluate, is this, is this working? Is it not? Is it doomed to fail? Is it doomed? Is it going to succeed from the sidelines? Like you, you can't, you've got to be in the game. You've got to be in the arena. You've got to be on the, the ground there and in the relationship. And so I think that's the core piece. You have to get down to reality. You've got to be in it. You got to be in it. And yeah. then you might find, you know, and this is where people like say, what's the difference between relationship doubt that's like healthy and normal and ROCD? And it's like, well, it's it's you being able to go, okay, so now we're looking at it. And if it's good, it's good. And if it's not, it's not the right relationship for us. And right. we can we can accept that and move on. Whereas it's like, but is it right? Or was it wrong? Or did I make a mistake? Or am I ever going to be happy? Or what? You know, it's like, oh yeah. my goodness. Let's put together a big spreadsheet and talk about all the things. <laughs> yeah, let's write some code on that. If then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Patrick. This yeah. is, this is, uh... this is always fun, honey. <laughs> so fun. Love so you. So fun. Love you. And thank you for coming on again, talking about relationship OCD with me dating, marriage. This is one perspective. It can look so many different ways within ROCD, but I think it is helpful to kind of talk through a lived experience from two different kind of angsty perspectives. I'll claim ROCD for me. He's still workshopping that over there. Uh. Yep. Still workshopping. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, that's fine. But thank you for inviting me on as one of your esteemed guests. Oh, I yes. appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for being my esteemed husband. Yes. All right. Thank Love you. you. Love and you. thank you, OCD family community. We will see you. Well, I will see you. I'll hear you. You'll hear me next week. Thank you for joining me and our OCD family community. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please like and subscribe to the OCD family podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Did you find this content helpful? Please consider leaving a review. The more people that know they're not alone, the better. For more information regarding today's podcast, please visit ocdfamilypodcast.com and remember to join the email list while you're there. It will provide you with the most up-to-date information, resources, and the demo on the family chatter. Oh yeah, nothing says family like I shouldn't have let you go. Oh, that's right. I went there. And you can too at ocdfamilypodcast.com.